Financial residency podcasts are brought to you this week by weatherbyhealthcare.com. Just as the right advice helps you thrive financially, the right support team allows you to excel professionally. Weatherby Healthcare's locums experts will match you with the best jobs, prepare you for success, and provide 24-7 support. The bottom line is that working locums with Weatherby helps you earn more money and take better control of your career. If that sounds like music to your ears, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com payday to get started. What's up, everyone? I am excited to have a guest with me today. And we're going to be talking about money, of course, but talking about your relationship with money. And my guest today is Danielle. Danielle, can you give us a quick intro and say hello to everyone? everybody. Glad to be here with you. My name is Danielle Sirkamp. I'm a CFP. I am the founder of Well Spent Wealth Planning based in Cincinnati. And I am fortunate enough to be in a study group with our illustrious host, Daniel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> illustrious. It's a good word. Well, what Danielle, she's not giving you the full story. She's got an incredible background. She has all these designations, has all sorts of great involvement in our industry. I guess if I was to boil down, Danielle has kind of gravitated towards the behavioral side of financial planning and personal finance. And what are the, you have certified financial behavior specialists, that's one. And then you have a master's. Yeah, actually my master's was my first kind of introduction into the psychology of money and behavioral finance and the relationship we have with money. Really happy that I took those courses. And then that just started my interest in it. And I went from there and I got involved with the financial behavioral specialist, which is through the Financial Psychology Institute and was able to learn a lot in that program to just more almost, you know, going right up to the edge of like psychology and bringing in some of that information into the way that we deal with money. So kind of marrying the practical side. Yeah. So we're both financial planners, you know, by day and most financial planners you talk to will kind of acknowledge this whole behavioral component and the psychology of money. And they, we have like a appreciation for it and, you know, realize it's a big deal and it's something you should be paying attention to and that sort of thing. But like, for example, for me, you know, when it gets into the tactical aspect of it or, you know, problem solving or how to work through it. You know, I'm not an expert by any means. And that's what's been cool about Danielle, what you're doing is you've kind of dug in more to that aspect. And it's a, it's a big deal. We're going to talk about it today, kind of like what we're talking about as far as behavioral finance and relationships with money. You know, when I think of relationships, I normally think about people. I'm like, well, what are you talking about relationship with money? But everybody has a relationship with money. We see it every day in our work with people one-on-one. And Danielle has just taken that initiative to really dig into that. And it's impactful stuff because especially when you, I mean, once you understand this, you can, you'll start to realize this is kind of like the undercurrent for a lot of the things that we do day to day and the decisions we make. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I guess maybe just to kind of kick off, like, what is it? What does this even mean? Like, what does relationship with money even mean? And how do we think about it? The way that I think about it is, okay, let's talk about financial literacy. And the definition of financial literacy is the ability to use knowledge and skills to manage financial resources for a lifetime of financial well-being. So 
you hear knowledge and skills in there. And that's the part that a lot of people focus on. But the part that has more to do with our relationship with money is the ability to use the knowledge and skills. And that's the important piece that this relationship with money brings in. So when you think about that, you might think of, you know, our relationship with food and exercise, you know, like just that basic idea of, you know, okay, I know I shouldn't have had donuts for breakfast. I know I should have probably gotten up and worked out. Like these are the basics of having a healthy, you know, body and mind. But if I'm feeling crummy, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm lonely, whatever it might be, I'm not going to be able to use that knowledge. I'm not going to get up and eat the thing that I should. I'm not going to get up and work out. It's the same way with money. So really, when we think about the relationship, you know, you said that it was about people and it is, but it's about sort of our knowledge of ourselves and how we relate Mm -hmm. to money. Yeah. And so people, it seems like everybody or the general focus, like you said, tends to start on that knowledge and skill. And that's where a lot of people go. And a lot of people stop there in terms of what they focus on. It's like they focus on, you know, educating themselves, which is all good stuff. That's important. And learning the skills and the tactics and the, you know, uh, the proper technique and of maxing out accounts and whatever, and making more money. People spend countless hours focused on those sorts of things and building wealth and whatever. And it's also kind of more of a shiny object. People enjoy, I think, reading about that kind of stuff or understanding that stuff. But it seems like this is more of one of those things that has a tendency to be overlooked. People looking at like how they relate. It's like we said, super important. Well, so we both said it's really important, but why is it so important? Like if we boil it down, like why is this so important to understand? Yeah, I think it comes down to knowledge is pretty useless if we're not able to apply it. And, you know, the things that get in the way of our ability to apply it are the either kind of mental biases we have, cognitive biases that are just errors in thinking that sort of apply to everybody. So everybody kind of has these normal things where our brains just don't necessarily always reflect information the right way. So um, just like as an example, if you've seen three news stories about an airplane crash, you're probably going to think airplane crashes are going up in likelihood or, you know, they're happening more often, even if statistically they're becoming less often. So, you know, there's just sort of errors in thinking around our brain that all of us experience, but then there are these emotional biases as well that don't apply to everybody the same way that have a lot more to do with our individualized experiences, our day-to-day well-being. But either one of these things can get in the way of our ability to to use good financial knowledge and skills. And so if we're not able to get over the hurdles of those things, then all of the best financial planning or all of the reading online or whatever we do to educate ourselves and try to do the right things aren't going to be as effective and may not be effective at all, depending on how intense some of those things are. Right. Yeah. And so when we see it, or I've seen it in working with families one-on-one, it seems like it's common commonly surfaces or comes up when it's like they're articulating these values or priorities and we have given them the concrete steps to make progress towards the goals and values and that sort of thing. And so in other words, they have the, you know, the knowledge of what steps to take, but they're continually failing to execute on it over and over again. And a lot of times there's some underlying issues related, you know, in in regards to their relationship with money. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, that one of the themes of being able to kind of 
hone your relationship with money is noticing things. And so if you are having an experience where an advisor has told you something to do and you have felt resistant to do it for whatever reason, or you haven't taken action on it, that's actually a really good indication that there might be something around that topic that is causing you to have a little bit of resistance or, you know, hesitancy around implementing those recommendations. So if that's the case, you know, or you've just been stuck on something that is kind of a good place to start digging in and looking at what's going on there and what that might be for you. So I was going to give you a little story here just to kind of illustrate, you know, what we're talking about as we start to explore these emotional biases or these, you know, things that come up in our relationship with money, just to kind of give us a framework of a place to start. Does that sound okay? Yeah, I I, I always love stories. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Okay, so this is about Billy and Bobby, and they were eight years old. And both of them saw a bike that they wanted to buy in the store window. So both of them decided to save money for it. Billy kept his money that he got from birthdays and holidays. He asked his mom if he could do extra chores, if he could make his own lunch and save his lunch money, and even do some things for neighbors and grandparents. And so finally, he got up enough money to save, and he bought this bike. He loved it. He rode it for years. So that's Billy. Then we have Bobby. He also started to save money. He did extra chores. He sold some of his CDs. And then one day when he went to put some of that money into his little piggy bank, he found that everything was gone. His older brother had taken it from him and there was no way that he was going to get it back. And his brother actually threatened Bobby and said, you know, if you tell anybody, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make you really sorry. So Bobby was afraid to even say anything about it. So he didn't, but he just started basically saving again on the side, but hid his money a little bit better. So finally he gets up enough money to buy the bike. And then less than a week later, the bike was stolen. So you have two situations here that are very different. I'm just curious, like Daniel, what do you think about when you hear that story? Like, what do you think the impact to Billy and Bobby would be in that situation? Yeah. I mean, like the, you kind of develop some skepticism around or, you know, at minimum for other people towards other people and money, maybe you even put blame on the money. I don't know. Like having money causes these problems. Yeah. <laughs> kind definitely. Of connect, connect the money to the problem, I think. And you know, mo money, mo problems. It's like I guess, <laughs> exactly, it's yeah. a little, little kid's version. <laughs> right. The eight-year-old version of this. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, most people are not going to think back to childhood and necessarily like think, oh, my whole relationship with money boils down to what happened when I got this bike when I was 18 or eight years old. But these are the kinds of experiences that end up shaping how we interact with money. And so I would say that experience for Billy and Bobby, I would describe that as a financial flashpoint. And that basically just means that is a moment in life where something happened that was significant enough to shape your views about money. And it can be a one-time thing like this. This was a, you know, kind of isolated incident around this bike. But it can also be something more just every day, like you saw a parent consistently in debt or overspending or whatever it might be. It doesn't have to necessarily be a huge deal. But what happens is then we have these flashpoints and we're kids, right? We're growing up. We don't have the framework to necessarily like talk ourselves through the rationale there. We just know this experience, if your body was painful, And I don't want to feel that way again. And so what happens is we sort of make a promise to ourselves, you know, something like, like you said, Daniel, like I'm never going to, 
you know, be stolen from again. Like, I'm not going to be a victim of that again or whatever. Like you're trying to avoid that feeling of fear. And so the behavior that might come out of that is that Bobby might not save money anymore because in his experience, saving up to money got his brother to steal from him. Buying the bike got someone else to steal from him. He may have a negative feeling about saving money going forward just from that kind of carry through his whole life. So that's just one example of how, you know, these experiences, these financial flashpoints can then turn into these promises that we make to ourselves or these beliefs that we have that are sometimes called money scripts because we kind of replay them over and over in our head. But that's just one little example of how it can kind of flow through into behavior. Yeah, I like it. So it's kind of like equate, you know, basically equating money to painful experience. And that's everybody wants to avoid pain in the future. And I think the issue is that we often bury it and aren't aware that it's like affecting your day-to-day world. Everybody has a past that is affecting their day-to-day world, but sometimes it causes problems and you're like burying it and it's therapy can come into handy and digging into the past. But maybe before we go down that route, like how do you, what's a good way to start to identify your own flashpoint? I would say, you know, first things first is to just start to think about your past, you know, in, in light of hearing how, you know, a story about a bike could have that big of an impact on you start to think back, like, what are the financial memories that come to mind? Like, what do you remember about money in your childhood? And it, you know, just to give you a little more of a prompt to think about that, there are a variety of different things that could impact your beliefs about money or these experiences that you've had about money. So a few things to look for as you're kind of, you know, going back and analyzing your history, things like gender roles in your family, you know, who was responsible for paying bills, who was responsible for earning money, who did those things, those types of things can, you know, carry forward into the future. Even gender norms in our society can affect how we feel about money. So there's actually a really interesting study that Tiro Price did about boys and girls as kids and kind of the relationship parents had with them. And boys were talked to by parents about investing and starting businesses and girls were talked to about money with like paying bills and cutting coupons and stuff like that. So like mm-hmm. even little things like that, but again, this is, doesn't necessarily draw back to one significant event but it does sometimes shape how we think about ourselves in relationship with money. You know, am I really someone who can start a business? Am I somebody who should be paying the bills? Looking at like the professions and education history of your parents and family, what kind of spending behavior did they have? Did anybody have debt? Were they good savers? Even stuff like what was their relational issues in the family, like addiction, enabling, secret keeping, all of this stuff can flow through Mm. to how we relate to money. So those are just some thoughts in terms of where to go back into the past and start to think about where do my money beliefs come from? There might be specific moments in time that relate to these different things, but it also just may be, you know, the way that you were raised and brought up everything from sort of the socioeconomic status of your family to just the individual roles and challenges that, you know, parents had as you grew up. Yeah. I've done an exercise before. I don't remember what it was called, but where you draw visual representation of your, I guess you start by thinking back in the past, all the way growing up and like the financial key points, I guess, from your memory. And then you draw a picture about it and you kind of map it out like a timeline or something along those lines. And then, you know, you take, what are the takeaways, that sort of thing. So 
I mean, I had like a, I would say a challenging or my parents were very unwell off or (laughs) they had a lot of financial challenges. So I think some people come away from that, like that's how you get in the cycle of that's how it is. And then other people come away with that. It's like, I have to work really hard to avoid that situation, but that completely is a part of how I am, how I, what has caused me to be how I am financially. It's probably what drove me into the profession I'm in, which is helping people with money is that seeing my, I was basically kind of like serving as a financial, I mean, you know, acting like a financial planner in like middle school or something. It's like, so it, looking back at that type of stuff is really helpful. It can also, you can find, you know, underlying issues, like you said, and identify maybe these hurdles that are, you know, holding you back in life, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually relate a lot with that, Daniel. I had a lot of financial insecurity growing up as well. And so, you know, those are moments, again, where what comes to my mind is like, I'm going to make a promise to myself, you know, like for me, I can think back to like a very specific moment in college where I was going to school full time and working full time. And I was like balancing my checkbook and I had like $7 for the next two weeks. And I was just like feeling really broke. And, you know, the stress of that was meaningful for me. And it was the promise in my mind is like, I'm never going to let myself be broke again. Like, I'm not going to let this happen. So we, you know, it may have been different for you, what your kind of thing that you decided on or whatever, but the, the, what happens from that can be positive or negative. In my case, sounds like in your case too, it kind of drove you into, you know, a successful profession, maybe, you know, focus on earning money, all of those things. And that's good. But I think that tricky part is when we make these promises to ourselves, sometimes we only focus on the part of the truth that suits what we've been through. So, you know, like in my case, where as an example of where this promise to me came into conflict was something that I wanted to do was I had this, you know, feeling of never wanting to be broke again. And then at some point along the way, I started having the urge to have my own business. Those two things do not go together, (laughs) you know? So, you know, giving up a nice, consistent W-2 income to go out on your own and start a business and take risk around money does not really align with this fear that I had or this promise that I made to never be broke again. So this is where we start to run into our own, you know, promises that we've made and we have to kind of work on that. And it took me a long time of working on that to be able to go out into my own business and take the risk financially and be able to tolerate the fear that went along with that. But part of what helped is doing kind of the devil's advocate against your own argument. So for me, it was, I don't want to be broke again. If I start a business, I'm going to be broke. I'm going to have financial insecurity again. What sometimes can be helpful is to say, well, well, what argument could you make to me about starting my own business where I wouldn't wind up broke? There's plenty of you know, things that you can say to me, like, well, you may earn more money. You may have more control over your job security. There are lots of arguments you can make on the other side, but when we have this emotional block, we won't make that counter argument. So that is another place to start is if you feel really strongly about something financially, like just try to play devil's advocate. I kind of call them like financial have truths. Another one might be like, all debt is bad. You know, if you really have a bad experience with debt, all debt is bad. But 
if you don't take debt, you can't go to college. Sometimes you can't buy your first home. You can't necessarily start a business. So there's good debt and there's bad debt. And if you have a stuck belief in there somewhere, it helps to kind of make that counter argument to yourself. Yeah. I think so for me with the coming out of that, one of the effects of my childhood is I was one of the, or I guess a promise I made was like, I'm going to work extremely hard professionally or, you know, whatever, like in high school or whatever, it was like manual labor, whatever I could get, but like it worked extremely hard to make sure I never have that financial stress or, you know, problem ever again. And, but fast forward, like that inevitably causes problems because, you know, that's not my only value. It's like, if I work extremely hard eventually and I have a family and three children and it's like I am not seeing them any, for example, like that starts to cause problems and it's like, or maybe I already have plenty of resources financially and I'm still working hard. It's like, that's where you get into that like cycle and you're like, all of a sudden you you know, or having marital problems or maybe you're divorced. And it's like, because, or maybe it was potentially cause one of the cause might be that I worked so hard and kind of, that was the sole focus. Cause for me, it was a big, huge focus. I was like, this is a high priority and it has caused problems in my marriage here and there. I'm fortunately still happily married. And fortunately I'm married a, a woman that will bring up problems <laughs> and raise them to my attention and uh, that sort of thing. But um, I can completely see where even me personally, I, it could have gone several different ways. And this kind of hard work ethic could have been ultimately causing tons of problems in, in, in life. If I, especially when I'm not aware of it, or I'm kind of like making excuses for it or that kind of thing. Yeah. I think what you're talking about is so common because it's like, we are in our experiences when we're young and we think about how can I fix this? What, how can I fix this problem? You know, I don't want to be financially insecure. I'm going to work really hard and never feel that way again. And sometimes that works. And you've seen that you've seen, you know, positive things come out of that. You have a successful business, you're able to, you know, take care of your family, all of these things, but that's eventually this same solution to this problem can become a hindrance in other areas. And so what we've been doing doesn't work anymore in the same way that it used to. And so that is sometimes the time when we become aware of the fact that we've been holding on to a belief. And I don't want anyone to, to say that they should throw away the beliefs that they've held. It's not that. It's that there's another side to the story that you need to make to yourself and say that, yes, working hard is important. I will continue to work hard, but there's no point in me working hard if I'm not going to be able to see my kids and my family and have time with them and that sort of thing. And so what you're describing is often what happens when we kind of come up with a system to fix the problem. And then eventually that system doesn't necessarily work for us in our current situation. I think a good, a good place to be in is where you're, you know, aware of this underlying relationship with money and some of these, some, you know, your background and what's caused you to, or, or the things that are, you know, these cycles of how you believe and act around money. And then on the other end, having a awareness of like what you value, 
Like, I think if you can look at the two of those, like your relationship with money on one hand and then your values in life on the other hand, it seems like those two things together is where you can really start to make good progress because I find that like they conflict, all of it conflicts with each other. And But when you're not aware, that's the problem is when you're not aware of either one of those, we're talking about relationship with money today, but either one of them, when you're not aware of it, that's where it's dangerous. Right. Yeah. And I think the part of the reason a lack of awareness is challenging is that whatever we believe or whatever we're doing is probably to cope with some kind of feeling that we're having. And if you're not aware of that, and you're not aware of how you might be using money to cope with that feeling, then you're not able to necessarily understand your own needs and find another way to cope with it. So like, as an example, you might have a fear around spending money. So that's a pretty common one. I think that we sometimes see in our business is people have saved a lot. They've worked hard. They've, you know, pinch pennies and all of that stuff, but then they have a hard time spending that money. And a lot of times it comes back to some of the stuff like we were talking about financial security in our past, that sort of thing. And if you really drill down to that at a deep level, money is how we provide food for ourselves. It's how we provide shelter for ourselves. It is how we stay alive. So to not have money is a huge fear for people. So that fear runs pretty deep. It may not necessarily be financial insecurity that you've you know, necessarily had that's fueling it, but there are also things like fitting in, you know, like we grew up in a certain socioeconomic world. Like that's what feels comfortable to us. Sometimes being wealthier then that doesn't feel comfortable. So, and that, that gets down to like being ostracized from your group. And again, this, this like gets down to survival instinct where it's like, we're doing things in a sense to keep ourselves safe. And so we have to kind of find that awareness around that to say, well, like, how can I make myself safe in a different way? So just understanding that there is depth there. And a lot of times, you know, if you're not spending money or if you are spending money, it can be in response to those deep emotional feelings, but we have to find another way to sort of address them Mm -hmm. in order for us to kind of make our better choices financially. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for, I guess, gaining better awareness or uh, I know we've kind of thrown out some, but ideas for people like that's a hard thing to do. It's easy to talk about, but it's like not so easy to like blind spots are hard to see. And well, let me throw out a few. I'll throw out a few examples that may resonate with people. And then we can talk about some ways to sort of work on this if you need to raise awareness or keep digging into this a little bit. But here are some examples. So again, if the feeling that you're having is fear and your behavior is not spending, you might look at things like financial insecurity in your past. That behavior that could come out of that might be not spending money, might be keeping secrets from somebody hiding money, you know, that kind of stuff. So look for that sort of thing. If you're feeling sad, stressed, guilty, bored, your behavior might be to spend money. Things you might look at there is, you know, spending as a coping mechanism. I spend when I'm sad. I spend when I'm bored. I get online and shop. So 
coping with those feelings is one, one thing we often do. So kind of look for those patterns there. Look for when we're spending money to fit in and stay safe. So this is the keeping up with the Joneses thing, but it's at a deeper level, right? It's like, we want to be accepted by the Joneses. So we need to spend money to look like our neighbors and all of those things. So, you know, looking for the patterns around that can be helpful. Looking for things like status, like, okay, one of my guilties is I like to give really nice gifts to people, which, okay, does that sound so terrible? No, but like I stress out about that and I will probably like spend more than I have in my budget because what someone thinks about me when I give them that gift matters to me. And so that's a status thing, just like it is to drive a nice car, have a nice house or have nice clothes or whatever. Like that's a status thing. And maybe that sounds shallow, but really it's about my self-worth and being accepted from other people. So those are the kinds of things we can look at in terms of reasons why we might spend money, coping with a negative emotion, trying to fit in and stay safe, trying to demonstrate our worth or, you know, fit in with people. And then it even sometimes can be as simple as like, I deserve this. I worked my butt off, you know, like thoughts like that, you know, I'm, I know you have a lot of doctors that listen to this and you struggle all through residency and you're broke. And then it's like, okay, I finally got to the job. I have the money. The feeling might be, I finally deserve to spend this money. So all those kinds of thoughts can get in there. And so just kind of paying attention to those a little bit is really helpful and kind of bringing that back to where is this really coming from? You know, is where is it, where's this need in Danielle give fancy gifts? And like, why do I even care about that? And what does that come from? And just kind of thinking about that a little bit more. And also keep in mind, none of these behaviors are necessarily problematic uh, unless you're they're causing problems in your financial plan. They're causing problems in your relationship. You know, spending or not spending is not inherently bad or good. It's just how is it working for you in your situation? Yeah. I think that you hit on a, a couple of good ones that are, I think a lot of you listening probably have <clears throat> felt the pull of or experienced before, but like the desire to reward yourself or it's been a long, hard road and I deserve to, you know, pat myself on the back. Some pe some people take that. I mean, first of all, that's not a bad thing. Like Daniel was saying is it could be a great thing, but some people like take it way farther than other people. And it seems like, so the house decision, a lot of people have that right around that time too. So I've, in my experience, noticed that a lot of the struggles physicians, especially a lot of it comes down to those decisions made in the transition points in time. But what happens, so say it's like I'm the ultimate underlying desire is pat myself on the back. I mean, I need to take care of myself a little bit and maybe they go a little too far on that. It seems like what sometimes happens is there's this like bury your head in the sand sort of. And some people get it and are like, okay, you know, mistake or I'm aware and it's causing problems in my plan. But uh, other people are, they are aware of it, but they're like not really recognizing that it's causing problems and they kind of like just work through it or maybe work more hours to try to make more money and it can cycle down the other direction. And so if maybe I'm listening and I'm like feeling like I'm aware of it, I'm like, I got that. Like I realize I need to pat myself on the back and that's kind of what I did. And I don't think I took it that far. I don't think there's that I don't think I have any problems in my plan, but like, I'm 
kind of not saving anything or, you know, or I hired a financial planner and didn't take their advice. Or we see that sometimes as if people don't take our advice. It's, well, why are you working with us? And, but like, how do people, it's hard to self-identify that sometimes. And yeah, and I don't know that it happens immediately, but I think it's just noticing, noticing, like practice noticing what you do and when. So like, if you just went through an experience where you did sort of, you know, YOLO and went for something because you really felt like you deserved it and worked hard for it and that's what happened. But you're like, I don't know if that's bad or good or indifferent or whatever. You might just pay attention. Like, how was I feeling around that time? Like, maybe you're really tired. You're like exhausted from overwork. You know, you're just not feeling the good stuff that you need to feel or you're not balancing that with something else. And then start to think about, okay, what do I do when I feel like that? When I'm tired and I just like worked my butt off all week and I'm, I just really don't have the energy to go coupon clip or whatever the thing is. Like, what do I do in that moment when I'm, you know, ordering dinner or do I go shop online or do, you know, what do I do in those moments when I feel that same way that might've led me to make that decision? So it's really just thinking a little bit more about it. I can give you an example of something that I did, if that would be helpful. Yeah. So I had a habit of every time I was invited to a big networking function where I wasn't going to know a lot of people, I had a habit of going out and buying myself a new outfit. And this outfit was super important because to me, it was my armor going into these events and I needed to fit in. And that was what made me feel okay to fit in to these things that I was going to I go and shop. And even though I have financial insecurity in my past and financial security is a big deal to me, that need got subjugated to the need to fit in at this event. So sometimes we even have ones that contradict each other. So this is an example for me where I have things that were contradicting themselves and the need to fit in was more urgent for me in that moment than the need to have financial security. So I'd go out and I'd shop and I would stress out and walk around the mall and I'd always spend more than I needed to. And it would kind of mess up my budget sometimes. And so I finally started to just have the negative emotions of like, oh, I'm running through this mall. My feet are killing me. I've worked all day. I'm just trying to find this outfit. Like, why am I doing this? And what I started to do was just say, okay, I'm going to pay attention to what happens to me when I get invited to these kinds of things. And what I noticed was I had the urge to go out and get my armor. And so in those moments, I started to do something differently. I would say to myself, all right, I have a networking event in a week. I'm going to go through my closet and start to pick something out that might feel appropriate for me. And sometimes I would still go out and shop, but I knew what I was doing at that point. I knew I was kind of doing this to make myself feel better. And that helped even when I did it anyway, because I knew what I was doing. So you know, that doesn't come up for me as much anymore, but it took me time to figure out that I was doing it, first of all, and then to figure out why was I doing it? Why was this need so important? And then how to take care of myself with that in a different way. You know, it's not just don't feel like that anymore, Danielle. It's okay. I'm going to feel this way a little bit. How do I care for myself in a different way that doesn't necessarily mess up my finances the way it would have if I just went out and blew a bunch of money on clothes? Yeah. It, and that's just good awareness in general. Like you said, even if you continue doing it to some extent, the awareness is key. I'm curious, was this one of the symptoms like 
maybe the closet is, you know, getting full of the stuff that I'm not wearing or, I mean, that, that could be an observation you make. You're like, for me, it was the negative emotions. Like I am putting myself through this insane shopping marathon for no, like, why oh, am I doing this? Like, I'm not happy. Like this is making me unhappy. So, yeah. you know, again, like what I was doing was working for me and making me feel safe, but now it's causing me to, you know, stress out and go crazy and make myself nuts about what I'm wearing. So like yeah. something will come up, maybe something mm-hmm. that doesn't feel great. And that is a time to just sort of dig in, notice a little bit more. Yeah. And there are a number of different exercises and things you can do as well. So I'm happy to share any of that if you want. Yeah, I would love to, I'll try, I'll go back to that. I wanted to throw something out there, but I guess a lot of the career track of medicine is a challenging one in that it takes you through that, like the training, especially, and sometimes the training rigorous, you know, hours carry forward or you get used to it and you kind of just keep doing it. But I think the challenge there is for me, at least like when I'm like killing it, grinding it out on whatever it might be like work is especially the one that can take over when it's like taken over. I just, it's like, I don't even have any capacity to be aware of anything. (laughs) It's like, I get in this zone, I guess. And I feel like awareness, this type of awareness requires having some space or something. I don't know how to describe it, but like, I feel like it's much more difficult to get in that mindset when you're like, so overwhelmed. And it might even be something different at work. It might be like some challenge or emotional or like grief. I think when people are going through grief, they just can't, they are totally overtaken by it. And sometimes that's okay. But like, I just think that's a good thing to, because in training, for example, like you can't a lot of times do much about that. So you kind of just have to do the best with what you have and, you know, work through it and don't be too hard on yourself. But is that, has, has that been your experience, Danielle? Yeah. And I think part of what you're talking about is like, there are moments we don't have the capacity to be thinking rationally and be self-analyzing and all of that. And that, that capacity for that is really important. And it's actually why this relationship with money matters, because when we're regulated and calm and feeling good, our thinking brain is able to make more of our decisions for us. And our thinking brain is the one that understands like, okay, I need to delay gratification. I need to save for the future. I need to, you know, do whatever I need to do for myself rationally. But as soon as we're overtaken with emotion and whether that's the stress of uh, grinding it out at work or grief or whatever it might be, panic about an event you're going to, it is very difficult at that point to use our thinking brains. It's just they go offline. Like our emotional brains take over. And when our emotional brains take over and we're trying to protect ourselves or soothe ourselves or whatever, it's very difficult to make wise choices that are based on the future. And so yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you can't expect yourself in those moments necessarily to be able to do anything about them, but it's what we do when those moments pass and we reflect on them or we think about what's going to happen when another moment like that comes, we can try to decide to do something differently. Right. We do have our wits about us. Right. It's like taking a minute and for example, with the training, taking a minute in between training and starting your first job might, you know, be a healthy exercise. I've worked with many people that go straight into practice, but like taking a 
month or, you know, even at least a few weeks, it's going to be chaos anyway, but like giving yourself some time to like take a silent break or something and observe it. And maybe you look back and you realize this kind of thing in your case and you're like, Oh, well that's, that's important to know as I like look at future jobs. Like I don't want to get myself in the exact same situation as I was before where I'm just like, I got the blinders on and I'm just crushing it at work, but like, that's it. Yeah. And so I think like what you said earlier, that's a great opportunity to sit with your values for a little while and say like, okay, I'm looking for a job. What do I need out of this job? And you know, that might be financial security. It could be Mm -hmm. a certain level of income or whatever, but it might also have these other things. So that's a great opportunity to kind of check those decisions in those moments with values and things like that. Yeah, I think it's hard in our culture or maybe even professions you choose. Sometimes it's very difficult to just have that space of, it's like everybody's afraid of boredom or with all the stuff going on. Like, you know, you got social media and smartphones and I'm, you know, guilty of it. Looking at your phone when you're bored and, you know, it's difficult. You almost have to be really intentional about like allowing for the a minute to think about stuff like this or observe or awareness or journal or whatever. Um, the other thing, but I mean, it's possible you can do it. You just have to be intentional. The other thing I wanted to mention was I think it's helpful. It's been for me to listen to other people and maybe that sounds obvious, but I have been guilty of like not listening to other people kind of warning, raising the red flag, especially the people that are direct and honest that you trust. And so for instance, my wife is super honest and direct. And when she says something, it's more than likely very true. So, but it's hard to hear that. And I want to not listen, but take, you know, listening to those people, because they'll throw out the flag warning signs, those people in your life, they'll be like, hints, I guess, of you know, maybe there's this issue. And I think sometimes it can tie into all this stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. And you know, the other thing is sometimes we find out about some of our struggles from other people, because it's a lot easier for them to see it than it is for ourselves. And so, mm-hmm. you know, even in marriages, like a lot of these things come up, a lot of the stuff we've talked about and imagine if one person is motivated by an intense fear of going back to being poor and someone else is super motivated by wanting to have nice things and fit in with their crowd. Yeah. One's going to save, one's going to spend generalizing, of course, but the reason that's so hard to reconcile in a relationship is because the needs are very intense for both of them. It looks like, Oh my God, you're so cheap. And Oh my God, you spend so much money, but really it's a lot more than that. And so even when we hear it from someone else, it's like, oh, you're being cheap. Well, I can't just stop saving money because that's what keeps me safe. You know, yeah. in my mind, that's what keeps me safe. So even sometimes when we get the message from somebody else, it's hard to reconcile or take it in because letting go of that behavior feels like letting go of what's keeping you safe. And yeah. in reality, some of that is keeping you safe. And some of that is causing you conflict in your relationship or in other areas or whatever it might be. And so the hard part is then examining that and seeing how what you're doing maybe isn't serving you the same way it used to. Yeah. So let's go back to 
some of those exercises as we wrap up, maybe we can talk about some, you were mentioning some exercises or tactics to kind of help. Yep. So, you know, the basic one is just notice, pay attention. How do you feel? How do you act when you feel that way? And some people will actually do a journal around that and say like, I went shopping because I was feeling stressed about going to an event, you know, or whatever. So keeping track, even journaling around that can be really helpful. And writing um, about your feelings. Yes. The horrible thing of paying attention to our feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like a guy or no, this is a I'm gender stereotyping, but I am not very in touch with my feelings. That's so it's kind of like important. I think to clarify that I have to be very intentional if I'm going to write about my feelings and r remind myself because I have journaled for years and years. And if you read my journal, it's probably not very feeling oriented and it's yes. going to be difficult for you to get a idea of what I was actually feeling unless I was really intentional about it. So reminder for those of you that are like me, you have to remind yourself to talk about those feelings. Yeah. And to think about it. And it is hard. I mean, a lot of us do avoid our own feelings, right? Like you were saying, it's easier to get on social media than it is to think about how we feel because sometimes it's not great how we feel. So it's hard to go there, but, and it doesn't have to be a long journal. It could just be, you know, what happened? How did I feel? What did I do about it? You know, and it, all it is just trying to raise that awareness, you know, however you keep track of it, it's got to work for you, but just paying attention to it can be really helpful. Hmm. Another thing we've been talking about, like these promises we make to ourselves, if there are any promises that you've made to yourselves or beliefs that you hold strongly, if you don't think about it as a promise, whatever it might resonate with you, write it down and then kind of think about how that flows through financial behavior and then try to make the counter argument. So again, just like being devil's advocate in a very intentional way of sort of, you know, pushing back against your own, what you consider truths, but might actually be half truths. So mm -hmm. looking at those a little bit more. Yeah. Even helpful. though it's, it goes against every grain of your inner being, it's like, <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense. And I can't, I'm not going to justify my beliefs or the opposite of my belief. Like that does not even make any sense to me, <laughs> right. but go against that like urge that it makes absolutely no sense to make a counter argument about something you've already made your mind up about completely. It, yeah. it's, I can tell you it's worthwhile to make a counter argument about something you're already 100,000% committed to or believing in. It's still worthwhile to, if at minimum you can kind of start to gain a little bit of a understanding of, or appreciation or even like seeing other people and how they, they view things. And, uh, but sometimes it'll surprise you what you come up with. Right. Exactly. That's a good one. Um, and it's a lot easier to argue with ourselves than to have someone else tell us the other side of the argument, because we're pretty much guaranteed to ignore the other people. <laughs> so we kind of need to come to yeah. it on our own, um, yep. which is hard. Okay. So a couple other things. One would be, you can do a genogram, which is basically like a chart of your family history. So just Google genogram and that How do you spell really that? G-E-N-O-G-R-A-M. Okay. Um, and basically you would just kind of draw out your family history. There's a lot of detail you can add to it. It's up to you. But if you're really trying to figure out 
patterns or you know things that might have been held over from previous generations or upbringing it can be really helpful to look at something like that just to see what comes up so that's another technique there is a quiz you can take it's called a money script inventory so if you google that you can take a quiz and kind of find out um, if you fall into one of the main four kind of money scripts so avoiding money seeing money as status seeing money as the solution to everything and then being very vigilant about money. Those are kind of like the big four that you'll fall into. So you can kind of see, does any of that resonate? So that's another thing you can do to gain awareness. And then there's also just that values piece. So I don't know if you have anything, Daniel, but I, there's a Miller values exercise out on Google that has basically a huge list of all the values that you might hold. And if you're trying to kind of gain clarity around what those values are, that can be helpful. And then kind of looking at that against what your current financial behavior and beliefs yeah. are. Those are good. It's coincidentally, I think the episode that's going to come out before this one, I talk about different values exercises. Oh, perfect. So, because there's a bunch of different ways to, you know, dig into that, but this is all linked and I'll link to each of these in the show notes. So you guys can see that, but uh, there's a bunch of different ways to tackle this. The last thing I wanted to ask you, or I was thinking about is at what point do you think you, so we talked with your friend actually a long time, many episodes ago about financial therapy and you know, what that is. And we caught into kind of some of this stuff a little bit too, but in your view, like at what point do you seek out help specifically for this? I think if it's you know, if you're looking at the situation and your finances are in trouble or your relationships are in trouble and you're just not finding resolution in the things that you're trying and financial therapy can be really helpful. It's basically just a format for, you know, you or you and your partner to be able to talk about these things with a professional that knows you know, all of the details and can walk you through some of this more intentionally and do it in a way that holds space for both people's feelings and both people's needs and all of that. And they also have the expertise around money to bring into it. So that's the unique thing about financial therapy is that, you know, you get the emotional component, the psychological component, but then you also have kind of the financial component, at least understanding there to bring that into play as well. So, you know, that's, the moment that I would seek someone out is if you're really in a situation where there's a problem that you're just not finding resolution toward and maybe something like this could be helpful. You know, financial planners are helpful too. Financial coaches are helpful too, but definitely financial therapists or certified financial behavioral specialists are going to be the most, you know, experienced with these particular issues. And we all have them. So don't feel bad because every single one of us has beliefs about money and, you know, it isn't like there's one for all of us. It's so many different ones that make up how we feel about things. So really it's just about getting to know yourself better. And that's sort of the thing with life, right? <laughs> so yeah. Yep. 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 It's sometimes complicated and sometimes we don't want to dig into it. It is worthwhile to dig in at least, especially if it's causing problems. So that's, and even if it's not, it's just good awareness because eventually it can. That's how it's been for me. It's like some of these issues or past experiences weren't causing issues and then they kind of were a little bit and then now they're not and it's a cycle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 
sometimes the consequences aren't that easy to see. Like for me, if I go back to that whole like financial insecurity and wanting to start my business. Like if I hadn't dealt with that fear that I have, I may never have started my business. Then would that be a problem in my life? Like maybe not. I probably would have been fine in a lot of ways, but problem can also just mean like you're not fulfilling something that, that you want. So it can just be a barrier in that sense too. So it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, your finances are in shambles and you're on the verge of divorce. Like that's not the only situation where you might need some, a little bit of extra time here. It can be just when you're trying to take something new on, or like you said, in a moment of transition, it can be helpful things to think about. Right, right, right. Awesome. Well, Danielle, it's been fun. I enjoy talking about this stuff. We could go on for hours and hours and hours. I know. Uh, we both have lots going on. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Good to be with you. If you're ready to start boosting your earning power with locums, head over to weatherbyhealthcare.com slash payday to learn more.